All right. Well, good morning. We're going to talk about some dad stuff today. And uh, just because we're focusing in on dads, I hope that all the non-dads in the room or watching online uh, don't feel excluded, really, uh, regardless of what your relationship status is or what role you play or where you're at in life. I believe that there's good stuff, because we're going to look at God's Word today. There's good stuff uh, that translates into good things uh, into your life. But as we jump into our subject for today, um, as I was approaching this Father's Day message, I found myself drawn back to something that I, I, I read years ago uh, that came from a man named Tupac Shakur. I wouldn't expect this to be a Tupac crowd. Um, I'm not sharing this with you because of his celebrity status that he had uh, back in the uh, early and mid-90s. I'm sharing this with you today because he revealed something that I think is profound about his own lack of a dad. And so I want to share with you what he had to say. He said, but I know for a fact that I had, excuse me, but I know for a fact that had I had a father, I'd have some discipline. I'd have more confidence. Your mother cannot calm you down the way a man can. Your mother can't reassure you the way a man can. My mother couldn't show me where my manhood was. You need a man to teach you how to be a man. When I was young, I was quiet, withdrawn. I read a lot, wrote poetry, kept a diary, watched TV all day. I stayed in front of the television. It was when I was in front of the TV by myself, being alone in the house by myself, having to cook dinner by myself, eat by myself, just being by myself and looking at TV, at families and all these people out there in this pretend world. I knew I could be part of it if I pretended. So early on, I just watched and emulated and I just thirsted for that. I thought if I could be and act like those characters, act like those people. I could have some of their joy. If I could act like I had a big family, I wouldn't feel as lonely. This is um, kind of a stunning level of vulnerability. I think it takes guts to be this transparent, and I just share this with you from a place of respect for him for being this honest with us. And the reason that this gripped me and the reason I wanted to share it with you is, number one, I think he just did a great job of articulating and capturing the power, the, the influence, the value of dads. Dads are not more important than mom, and moms are not more important than dad. Both are indispensable. Both are invaluable. But today we're focusing a spotlight on the distinct role that a dad plays. Another reason that this this quote that he shared just resonated with me so strongly as he also captured the reality of what happens when a dad is absent. Something or someone is going to fill that gap. Something or someone is going to fill that void that God intentionally engineered for men. And it could be something good, it could be something not so good, but something or someone is going to fill the dad gap. And today, today is all about this. This is what I'm suggesting is that as a church, we say we are staying the course. As a church, we're saying we're going to be full of men who see our role as dads and the fatherhood role that we play and fathers-in-laws and grandfathers, all of that, that we view it as a sacred trust, that we will not take it lightly and we would never do anything to give up the influence that we have. And I'm saying, let's also be a church full of men 
who say we will stand in the gap, we will stand in the dad gap for the ones who don't have fathers. And I could be talking about kids, or we could be talking about adults too. A lot of you guys know a bit of, of my story. Um, when I was a kid, my dad was my hero, but he lost his way. And when I was in my 20s, I lost my relationship with my dad because of demons that he was battling. And I didn't get my dad back till I was in my 40s. And I stand here today as a man who benefited from other men, men like my father-in-law, who stood in the dad gap for me. So men, are we in? Are we willing to do this? Let's shine a spotlight on this incredible gift and this role that God has entrusted to us. And again, it's not just for dads in the room, for all the men who seek to play a fatherly role. You can take what we're talking about today and deploy it into those relationships. For men and women alike who desire to be people of influence and leadership, you can take all the stuff that we're talking about today and deploy it in those ventures. But we're gonna shine a spotlight on dads, and so I wanna ask this question. What do you want for your kids? Every dad has an answer and is living out an answer to this question. Not every dad is intentional about his answer to this question. And today I'm suggesting let's be intentional. I'm inviting you to, to be intentional. The way we spend our time, our energy, the way we engage in discipline, all kinds of stuff is an answer to this question. We're aiming at something. My question is, do you know what you're aiming at? And I, I don't necessarily think that I have the right to tell you what your answer to this question ought to be. I don't mind telling you what my answer is. So I'm gonna share with you my answer. Is that okay? This is what I'm aiming at. I want my kids to wanna hang out with me when they don't have to. And I want my kids to follow Jesus because they want to. That's it. That's what I'm trying to do. There are a lot of other little things that feed into that. But those are the two things that I'm going for. And for my money, both of these things deserve a sermon or a sermon series. Both of these things deserve to be talked about. But for the sake of time, we can only talk about one. So I want to talk about this one today. How to aim at leading kids to follow Jesus because they want to. I don't think the Apostle Paul was ever a dad. But he did play a fatherly role to a young pastor named Timothy. And that word father is really the best word used to describe the kind of relationship that he had with, with many others. And if you were here during our first Thessalonian series, you might remember this. He wrote, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging. I notice he didn't say dispensing cash. That came later. But as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Let's just acknowledge this right off the bat. This passage is not about fatherhood or parenting. This comes from a larger context about pastoral ministry and leadership. Uh, and we taught on this earlier in the year. If you need a refresher, go back and check out our series on First Thessalonians. But even though this isn't about parenting and fatherhood, it really does have some tremendous insight for us into what a gospel-saturated approach to being a father looks like. It shows us what a dad does and how a dad is. When I talk about how a dad is, I'm talking about the state in which dad engages people. We're talking about what it's like 
to experience him. And what a dad does and how a dad is was such a rich example of leadership that the Apostle Paul used it as a roadmap into his leadership. His blueprint for pastoral type ministry, for apostle ministry, for, for leadership, was nothing more than cutting and pasting God's blueprint for dads. So let's summarize it like this. A father's responsibility is to encourage, comfort, and urge his kids toward faith and in faith. Encourage, comfort, and urge his kids toward faith and then in faith. Why did I put it like this? Toward first and then in faith. That's because, you know what? There are baby Christians. There are no Christian babies. I don't know what God gave you, but my kids were born sinners. They were really good at it from day one. Like, I never had to teach my kids how to sneak snacks and candy from the, from the pantry, hide behind the TV, munching down, hoping I wouldn't see them. I never had to teach my kids to assert selfish agendas at the expense of kindness. I did not have to teach my kids how to lie. I did, true story, I didn't have to teach them how to steal jewelry from the babysitter. I didn't have to teach my kids to stuff the toilet with toilet paper till it overflowed. Came naturally to my kids. How about yours? <laughs> Dads, this is what we do. We encourage, we comfort, we urge our kids toward Jesus. And hopefully, and when, they give their allegiance to Jesus for themselves. When they trust in Jesus for themselves, now we comfort and we encourage and we urge them on further in their relationship with Jesus. Now these three words are, these are important, encourage and comfort and urge. And so I wanna slow down and make sure we understand what these words mean. And we don't, we don't, we don't determine what these words mean. The biblical authors, they determine what these words mean, and so we need to make sure we know what they meant so that we can father in the way that God designed. So in the Greek language, the word for encourage, it really means to come alongside. And this word is dripping with intimacy and connection. This is a relational word. Can you come alongside from a distance? This isn't something that we can do in a hurry. And for the one who is the recipient of this, many times it will feel very convenient for them. And many times for the one who is doing the giving, it feels very inconvenient, doesn't it? But dads, that's okay. Because when you do it, you are making tangible the kindness, the gentleness, the patience, the sacrificial love and goodness of the Savior. Moment by moment. Day after day, year over year, you get to bring Jesus into view one pixel at a time. Dads, did you know that every time you wrestle with your kids, that's a sacred moment. It is sacred when you play with your kids. Every time that we get shoulder to shoulder with our kids to do homework or chores around the house or even walk them down the aisle, every moment that we come alongside, it is a sacred moment. Comfort means to lift up. That's really what this word means, to lift up. And so any dad, who's, any dad who's tried to teach their kids how to tie their shoes or ride a bike or how to talk to a girl or if it's your daughter, how not to talk to a boy, if it's, 
Any dad who's ever come alongside his kids trying to teach them how to pass an exam, how to get a job, how to join a team, you know what it's like to watch your sons and your daughters wilt in the face of rejection and shame and difficulty and failure. And in every one of those moments, our kids are telling themselves a story about themselves. What story do you want them to tell? A dad whose identity is defined by the gospel A dad whose identity is defined by Jesus is able to lift up and bring comfort to his kids when they will naturally define themselves by their successes and failures. Our kids will naturally define themselves by the acceptance or rejection they receive from their peers. Our kids will naturally define themselves by the agenda and the propaganda of culture. Kids need dads who can lift them up with an unfailing comfort that comes from the one who gives us a better story. Urge. It really means to be a faithful witness. And believe it or not, it comes from the word for martyr. It is a verb form for martyr. You know what this means? This means that urging is not about the intensity of our instruction. It is not about being demanding. It is 100% about our kids being inspired and being compelled by what they see in us. It's not just our words, it's our lives. This means our kids need to see the gospel play out Our kids need to see our devotion to Jesus play out in our lives, especially when it costs us something. Could your kids talk about your devotion to Jesus when it costs you something? Can they tell that story? Do our kids see in us what we want for them? Guys, being a dad means volunteering to be a living martyr. And some people might go, uh, Rick, that doesn't sound like Happy Father's Day message. That sounds a little intense. (laughs) Well, don't let it be overwhelming. It is appropriately heavy. And I think the difference, I'm convinced, that the difference between insecurity and inspiration is remembering this. The point isn't to be a perfect father, but to point them to the perfect father. Will you guys give me permission to share a little vulnerability with you? Is that okay? This week, as I was preparing for this message, I felt magnificently insecure. As I was focusing on all the things that a good dad does and all the things that a good dad is, I could not take my eyes off all the ways that I'm not. I got ways that I miss the mark. I got things that, where I fall short I'm not proud of. If you, if you t- ask my kids, what is the single greatest moment of regret that I have as a dad, they could tell you because we've talked about it. Now, I don't know that they would tell you, but they could tell you. Jack would probably tell you. He's on team mom. Um, <laughs> Caroline, she's a vault. I mean, I could rob a bank with that girl and she will not rat me out. <laughs> Dads, I really want you to be encouraged by this. The point is not to be a perfect father, but to point them to the perfect father. 
You got to hear me on this. This is not emotional fluff. This is not the hallmark section of the sermon. This is everything. This is the whole ball game. Because dads who lose sight of this lose out on being an influence and all they have left is control. Dads who lose sight of this lose out on being an influence and all they have left is control. And control is the counterfeit of what God has entrusted to us. Control is the enemy of what God has entrusted to us. Let's look again at what Paul wrote. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. He didn't say force, demand, control. He used the language of influence, and influence is the essence of leadership. Control is the counterfeit of leadership. It is the corrosive, cancerous enemy of leadership. There's going to be times that we have to exert some controls, especially when they're young. But it cannot be our philosophy. It cannot be the essence of how we father. So I'm saying, dads, let's don't pick it up. Let's don't make that what we aim for. And so real quickly, I want to, I want to compare and contrast influence versus control. Influence is always invited. Control is only imposed. Influence is always invited. Control is only imposed. For all of you dads in the room and for watching online, if you choose influence, and I hope you do, you are choosing the better way. But you know what? It's the harder way. Choosing influence is harder. And it's going to require our time, lots of it. It's going to require our attention, lots of it. It's going to require our emotional energy, our physical energy, and lots of it. And it's going to require it when we feel too busy, too distracted, and too tired to give it. But this is how you build influence, especially with kids. You know what, you know what control doesn't require? It doesn't require any of that. All control requires is power and force. As long as you can force your way, you got control. You don't have to give any of the other stuff. But there's something that control and influence both have in common. I think we need to recognize it. Both control and influence are really easy when our kids are really, really young. But the older they get, the harder it gets, isn't it? Like when they were really young, you were hilarious. Just dangle some keys. You were a master of comedy. Now it's a little bit harder. Now they just roll their eyes. All right? But dads, hear me on this. They're both super easy when they're young. They both get harder as our kids get older. Dads who opted for control, the older their kids get, the more they wish they had built influence when their kids were younger. Control is limited by capacity. Influence is limitless. The younger and the smaller our kids are, the easier this is. That's why it's so tempting to make it like the permanent default setting of, of how we lead our kids. How do you control your kids when you're not there? How do we control our kids when they're out with their friends? How do we control our kids when we can't even know all the things and all the people in their lives? Every dad's gonna have to make this decision. Am I going to impose restrictions that match my capacity to be able to control things 
Or am I going to inspire my kids to choose love, wisdom, and Jesus? When I was a youth pastor, I had two teenage girls. Uh, they were sisters in my, in my youth group. They came from loving, godly homes. Mom and dad are very smart, good-hearted, want all the right things. But mom and dad opted for control. They thought that was the way forward. Not because they were bad people. They just thought that was the way forward. And I remember one night, one of these girls, 17 years old, um, I came across paths with her at the county fair, and she was drunk out of her mind. And she ended up in the emergency department that night with alcohol poisoning, almost died. When all the tears and fears subsided and everything was okay, mom called me. She wanted to talk a little bit about it, and she asked my perspective on a few things. And one of the things I said in this conversation was, you know, it's not just our job to make all the decisions for our kids, but to teach them how to make decisions. And she said, whoa, no one has ever taught me that before. I thought my job was to make all the decisions. Well, that's what control does. But you know what control can't do? It can't prepare kids for the real world and for real life. How are we doing? We doing okay? What I want to say next might be like the most punchy thing I've ever said since I've been here. Do you guys want to keep going forward? All right. You laughed, that gave me permission. But this is from my heart. Christian parenting that opts for control is nothing more than atheism and religious packaging. Christian parenting that opts for control is nothing more than atheism and religious packaging because control is driven by fear and is wholly disconnected from trust in God. It's built on the belief for things to go right, it's up to me. I have to exert force. I have to be in control for things to be okay. I can't trust God to be in control. I have to be in control. And I get it. I love control. Does anybody else love control? Like, I'm a huge fan. I'm in love with the illusion of control. And every time a young man comes to my house to hang out with my daughter, to take out my daughter, I feel like I'm losing control, and I want to, I want to bring back some control. And I'm not like a big manly machismo guy, so i got to flex differently. And so when this guy comes into my house, I go up and I introduce myself. Hi, I'm Caroline's dad. All her friends call me Rick. You can call me Mr. Henderson. <laughs> I will call the kid the wrong name on purpose. Now, you can laugh at me, but you know you. How do you like to grab at control? What's your go-to move to keep control? If we opt for control, we've got one of two options, maybe both. One of two things are going to happen, maybe both. We will be the naive prisoners inside of our own delusions of control, or we keep our kids locked in the fortress of our insecurity and capacity to control. There's nothing about that that says, God, I trust that you are at work in the lives and the heart and the minds of my kids. Here's my question. If my kids don't see me trusting God with their lives, why would they trust God with their lives? If your kids don't see you trusting God with their lives, why would they trust God with their lives? Now, for people who are confused and think that it's like the Wild West of my house and we have no rules, we got rules. <laughs> We've got enforced expectations. We've got boundaries. 
You still got to lead. You still got to parent. You've got to identify what you will tolerate and what you won't tolerate. But what we're not going to do is control because it's not possible. It's an illusion. And maybe some of these statements will, will help. Um, as badly as I want my kids to want to follow Jesus, I can't make them want to follow Jesus. But in our family, we pray together, we go to church together, non-negotiables. I want my kids to honor and appreciate their mom. I think they should, and they do. But you know what? I can't make them do that. But I'm not going to tolerate disrespect in my home. I want my kids to choose wisdom and to want to be responsible. I can't make them. But I'm not going to tolerate laziness or foolishness or irresponsibility in my home. I got to be a dad. We're going to have boundaries. We're going to have rules. We're going to have enforced expectations. We're going to break up with the illusion of control. The best that control can give us is behavior modification. It doesn't cultivate a heart that loves Jesus, and it will not cultivate a biblical worldview or an allegiance to a biblical worldview. Paul said, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Real quick, for the few minutes that we have left, I want to give us three words that will help unlock the father genius inside of you to encourage, comfort, and urge. And these are the three words. Teach, model, coach. Teach, model, coach. We got to do a lot of teaching from the moment they're born into and through the teen years. We got to do a lot of teaching. And dads and granddads, my encouragement to you is make it memorable and make it fun. We used to do this thing called spot the lie. And spot the lie is not trying to catch somebody not telling the truth. Spot the lie is about identifying the moments that someone is expressing a worldview, an ideology, a belief system that would contradict what we find in God's word. And so we're watching TV, I'll hit the pause button and I'll say, Jack, could you spot the lie? And then we talk about it. And you can make it a game and you can have prizes and rewards if you want to, but that can be really, really fun. You guys might think I'm crazy, but I don't think I could totally control the kind of music my daughter listens to when she's with her friends. Like there's a lot of media I don't want my kids to consume. And I can have a kind of control about what comes into my house, but I can't control what they listen to when they're out with their friends. And so I just decided whatever my daughter is listening to with her friends, I want her to listen to with me. And so when we're in the car together, I let her pick the music. And I don't pre-select what we will and won't listen to. She can, and when I like wince, and not because people can't sing anymore like they used to, but when it's just a song, it's like a message, and I'm like, ugh. When the song's over, wait till the song's over, turn down the volume and ask, what would happen if we took that song seriously? Because what I want to do is I want to teach her a biblical worldview. Because what I want to do is teach her discernment and how to evaluate from the perspective of God's word. What am I going to bring into my mind and to my soul? And what am I going to say no to? And what am I going to align my life with? The kind of stuff we're talking about, this approach can be labeled expose and teach. And years ago, Heather and I just decided there are tons of things out there we cannot affirm. There are tons of things out there we would never want for our kids, but we're going to go mad if we try to hide our kids from all these things. 
I mean, what do you do when you have neighbors who they are living in such a way that is opposite, and it could be all kinds of things, but they're living opposite of what you want for your kids? Do you hide your kids from your neighbors? Do you say you're not allowed to play with their kids? That's an approach. We decided we're just gonna have conversations. And if you check out the digital notes, I give you a kind of a framework for how to do this, but we started this super young with our kids. And we get down on eye level, we were talking about maybe there's something we just can't hide from them. We can't control what they're exposed to. We can control how we engage it and how we navigate it as a family. We should just look them in the eye and say, because Jesus loved us. Because Jesus loves us so much, he designed us to live this way. But you know what? Not everybody trusts and follows Jesus. And one day you're gonna get to choose for yourself if you are going to trust Jesus as your leader and the authority of your life. And mom and I are rooting for you to trust Jesus. Mom and I are praying that you know how much he loves you and that you love him. And the older your kids get, the more detailed and robust and complex that conversation can become. But dads, we gotta teach. We have got to teach. But let's teach in a way that is encouraging and let's teach in a way that models that we trust Jesus more than we trust our own capacity. And we're talking about modeling. What happens if we are the best gospel teacher ever, but our kids don't see it in our lives? What are they gonna call us? Yeah, that stings. So this is what I want. I want them to see me trust Jesus more than I trust. What are you tempted to put in that blank? Money, achievement, whatever. I want them to see me trust Jesus more than I trust that. I want them to see me love Jesus more than I love. What is your attention? What is your affection? What does your money go? Where are you, how are you tempted to fill in this blank? I want them to see me love Jesus more than I love. And I want them to see me delight in Jesus even when I'm scared, fatigued, discouraged, confused, at the high moments and the low moments, I want them to see me delight in Jesus. Over the past few weeks, you've heard us advertise this, ARC 1-8, uh, and this is a great way for us to put love in action, to put the gospel in action as we move towards our community. But dads, have you thought about this as a way to come alongside your kids, come alongside your family and model what it's like to put the gospel in action? If there is no major calendar conflict, I, know, I understand some people, just, it just doesn't work with your calendar, you're not able to come, but if there's nothing that's keeping you from coming, what could keep you from using this as an opportunity to model the gospel for your kids and to lead them in it? And the last word is coach. And a coach is someone who gets to give feedback. A coach is someone who gets to help bring out the best that's in someone. A coach gets to be a cheerleader for their kids as they move into the adult world. This is birth into teen years. This is our entire life. And this is really as they move into the adult world and beyond. As they're moving out of the teen years, going through college, into their career, becoming parents themselves. This right here, this is a role we all wanna be able to play. Dads who opt for control they get to do this, and they get to do this. They don't get to do this. It's only the dads who built influence, who get to teach, who get to model, and who are invited to be this for their kids. So dads, 
Let's be encouraged by this. The point isn't to be a perfect father, but to point them to the perfect father.